As Kevin said earlier, uh, good morning, welcome, we're glad that you're here with us either in person or online. It's good to be able to gather, and we're thankful that we're able to gather in unconventional ways these days, uh, and that people are able to join us while they're still at home. And uh, yeah, even though it's kind of weird. We're going to be continuing our, our, our journey through Paul's personal or pastoral letters that, that he wrote. So we started with uh, Philemon, and now we're into 1 Timothy uh, before jumping into Titus, and then 2 Timothy. Um, and we're, we're going to polish off 1 Timothy, looking specifically at chapters 5 and 6 this morning. Uh, as a fun, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about, I wonder when, because you know, I don't know if you, when you kind of are new to the faith, people suggest which books of the Bible you should read. And so they often start with Luke or John, and then lots of people suggest Romans. So I started looking through all these suggestions. Timothy is not on a suggestion for anybody at any time to read. Uh, it's like, just avoid it. It's, it's hard. And th that's the reality. But let's, let's read chapters 5 and 6, and then we'll un unpack it a bit, okay? So I'll be reading from the NIV. You can follow along either on the screen or if you have your own device or text with you. Uh, we're starting at uh, verse 1, chapter 5. So do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat young men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is, is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for the good deeds such as bringing up children and showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to God, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge, because they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies, who talk nonsense, saying things that ought not to. So I counsel younger, women, younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. But if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them, so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are well worthy of double honor, especially those who work, work, whose work is preaching and teaching. 
For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the, the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and of Jesus Christ and, and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in laying on the hands and do not share in the sin of others. Keep yourself pure, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching out reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even that those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. All those who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If, everyone teach, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instructions of our Lord Jesus Christ and to, the God, and to godly teaching, they are cons- seated and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy, unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malice, talk, evil suspicion, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into, any, into many foolish, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Jesus Christ, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can chase, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, and to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, and command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. 
In this they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. When I read this, uh, this portion of 1 Timothy, and actually when I read most of 1 Timothy, I feel like I'm catching part of a conversation. And do you, you know what I mean when, if you're, like, picture yourself, you're chatting with somebody, and someone they're working with or their spouse walks up, and they say, hey, have, did you remember? Yep, yep, I got it. And what about the, yeah, don't worry, this is happening. And what about the... And they have this conversation right in front of you and you have no idea what they're talking about, right? Because they don't actually finish the thoughts. You're kind of jumping in in the middle of things, right? And you can gleam that, okay, someone has to go pick up the kids after they're done, but don't worry because of, you know, we can glean parts of their conversation and we can piece it together, but at the same time, if we had to recreate that conversation, it would be impossible. Have you all experienced those kind of moments, that is what I feel when I'm reading 1 Timothy, is I'm just watching these two guys, and they're like, Paul is just, and then this, and then this, and then this, and it almost feels like, um, like it, Paul is scattered, right? It feels like there's no, we have no rhyme or reason to know why Paul is jumping from this to this to this, like, why why does he jump uh, into talking about taking wine and then to slaves and then to false teaching? It's kind of, it feels random. But I think it feels random because Timothy, 1 Timothy is a personal letter. There's a relationship, there's context that we just don't know. And there's scholars who like to kind of piece it together who are like, well, this could mean this and, you know, that kind of thing. But the reality is, is most of them, to one extent or another, are using their imagination to piece together a backstory to help us make sense of 1 Timothy. Because if you remember from earlier chapters, when we take bits and pieces of 1 Timothy and we try to apply them to our life now, it's tricky, Right? doesn't really work. But I think if you, if you read it carefully, there's little bits and pieces that give us kind of clues and, and tidbits as to what is going on in Ephesus. And that's where Timothy is, that Paul is writing to them in this, this town of Ephesus. And he's, there's bits and pieces that are telling us that these actually things are connected. Paul isn't just like shotgun approach like trying to hit everything that he ever thought of. He's actually following a trajectory and trying to deal with all of the avenues and nuances. And I think you see this when you look at like what is the actual purpose of the letter. And the, Paul is writing this. It, it's clear if you, if you just look at the very beginning of uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. He's writing to 
to Timothy to encourage him to confront and deal with the false teachers that are present in Ephesus, right? And that's where Paul comes to at the very end. So that's chapter one in verse six. That's where he lands. He says, I want you to to guard what has been entrusted to to your care. Turn away from the godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, right? He's confronting, he's encouraging Timothy and giving him some, uh, some material to confront the different false teachers that are present. And I think these, this, these bookends that are in, in Timothy of you need to confront these false teachers help us give context uh, to the letter, and help us to kind of understand what is going on. That it isn't as scattered as it might feel. Right? And if we follow through, I think it's easiest if we actually start at the, at the end. If we start with this where Paul turns back to the, to the, uh, the false teachers. In uh, chapter 6, verse kind of 3 to 10 is the chunk that he... Uh, he kind of goes on this indictment of the false teachers in the community, right? And this is, well, he mentions them in the past, and we know that they're not teaching uh, the way of Jesus. We don't get a, a lot of detail previous to this as to what they are teaching. But Paul actually starts to unpack it, right? And I, for me, it kind of culminates in this, in, what, in verse 5, It's the false teachers that think godliness is a means to financial gain. In other words, in in my own words, what I'd say, it's you're guarding against the prosperity gospel. You're guarding against uh, teaching that financing, God's financial blessing is evidence of his presence. That if you follow Jesus, you'll get rich. Paul is teaching, is saying that the people who are teaching this are wrong. And when we understand it from that, and I'll, we'll get there, because I want to unpack that a bit, because that might be a big statement for some of us. But when you understand that that is what Paul is actually fighting against in this letter, lots of the other pieces start to make sense. It makes sense that he would talk about widows and slaves, Right? Because if we believe that God's blessing comes to us in the form of financial gain, then the poor among us, those who are truly widows and have nothing to help them, like, and Paul defines what a true widow is, a true widow is someone who has nothing to stand on, has no family to take care of them and no financial backing. Right? These are the people, they are, when we view financial gain as the blessing of God, these people are diminished because we look and we say, well, they're poor, so obviously they don't have the blessing of God. And it's tempting because to think that way, to think that we can, we can sum everything up in, in finances because it's easy to measure, right? Who's more right? The person with the biggest bank account. Um, it's an easy way to, to pick your elders. You're successful. 
great. So we're going to put you in a place of leadership because you have money. Right? But the problem with this is, is it ultimately flies in the face of everything Jesus taught. <laughs> Which is why Paul is so harsh on it. Right? Blessed are the poor, Jesus said over and over again. And through his, through his parables, he gave the poor placement. When, uh, the, when the disciples asked why that man was born blind for his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus was just like, you're thinking about this wrong. This person isn't cursed, but is an opportunity to show the, to show the presence and the power of God. The, the culture at the time assumed that godliness and wealthiness went the same, and we aren't much different often. We fall into the same trap. And Timothy is being encouraged to confront this, right? And Paul starts in chapter 5, he starts with widows. He's undermining, slowly undermining everything that they've had to stand on because widows are central, to the Christian faith, which I know it might sound a bit strange as, as, as a statement, but in the world in which Timothy lived, it's much different than today. And so a widow who had no family, as Paul, like he, 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 he wanted to define true widows because the reality is, is there was people who were like, I'm a widow, but had financial means and were taking advantage of the church, right? But Paul says, if there is someone in true need, if there's someone who has no financial backing and no family to help, you should care for them. And I think most of us could agree that Paul was trying to, because if you read in Exodus, it says that the, the, uh, the command that was given to the Israelites that this care for widows is built on, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, they will cry out to me, and I, they will certainly, I will certainly hear their cry. So this is at the core of the Jewish tradition, to take care of, uh, of widows. And if you read the book of James, you'll see it again and again and again, right? Like there, it was part of the practice. And in, in the early church, in the stories of Acts, there's this practice of taking care of widows, and Paul is affirming that, yes, we actually do need to take care of the widows, but widows aren't just like, you don't just say, hey, we're going to take care of widows and not think about who we're taking care of. Because when, this is kind of that classic, is it the spirit of the letter of the law, right? So the letter of the law says that, okay, take care of orphans and widows. Okay, so I'm going to take care of the rich orphans and the rich widows. <laughs> Done. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. The point of this, the point of that is that those who do not have connection, do not have family, do not have any financial means that they will be taken care of, that they will be given a family within the church. I love the line, for those who are left all alone. Those are the widows, the orphans amongst you who you should care for. And Paul emphasizes this because he's just like the reality is is the people who are teaching that that financial gain is a sign of uh, godliness is a uh, is a way to financial gain and using financial gain as the benchmark of what is their their faith he's saying no we actually need to care 
and make central those who have been left behind, those who have been pushed away, those who have nothing. And so he's undermining this teaching, taking, care, taking away some of its pillars, right? And you can, from this, we, verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care and should continue, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need, right? And this is where Paul jumps into talking about elders. From there he goes, because the reality is, is the people who the church was charged, who are in leadership of the church, the elders of the church, were the ones who were in charge of making sure that the widows, those in need, were cared for, right? And Paul is, so this is kind of that transition. This is why, so Paul, he dresses the care of widows as central need and why they should be, they should be taken care of. And then from that, he goes to the elders. And the elders who are in charge of this care, don't let them get away with poor living, basically. Right? Encourage them to live lives that are righteous. And we, we see this in, in, in leadership all the time, right? And I think in the churches, we, we tend to let people who are in charge get away with something that is wrong because we wouldn't want to confront them. We wouldn't want to, uh, to pull their darkness into the light <laughs> and have other people lose their faith because of that. Paul says it's just like you have to hold these people to high account. Those of you who are elders, who are into preaching and teaching, you guys as a church are responsible for holding them into high account. This is not something I'm looking forward to hearing about later. Right? But that's the reality. As a church, as people who are together, you guys have a responsibility, even if you're not the one up here. If you think we're in the wrong, not just for what we say, but with how we're living our lives, to call us out on it. If we are missing out on the care of those around us in the church, then it's up to everybody in the church to call out the leaders of the church to say, hey, how come there's people in our community that aren't being cared for? And I love that the verse, the lay on hand, like verse 22, it says, to do not lay hands on suddenly. Which is, if you look at, when I first read that, I'm just like, well, it's the laying on of hands, so you're not supposed to pray for someone too quickly, was my first thought when I read it. Which you might think that's absurd, and it is, because what it actually means is it's this, it's don't accuse, don't come at someone violently too quickly. So even in the midst of our judgment and our call to accountability here, there's a gentleness that's required. And from this point, Paul transitions and he starts talking about wine. He just kind of drops this elder thing and he's just like, oh yeah, Timothy, by the way, drink wine. Right? But if you, if you remember earlier, so one of the things that Paul uh, uh, dictates to Timothy as a... Uh, as a, um, what's the word? 
a condition for being an elder is that the elder is not given to drunkenness, right? And what you, I think you can surmise is Timothy has reacted, right? So there's probably some elders within the church of Ephesus who are indulging excessively, right? And in, that, in those moments, um, Tim, Timothy is reacting and saying, okay, then I'll just abstain entirely. And Paul's like, come on, don't, don't feed that, right? Don't, don't let that pendulum swing. Don't make abstinence from alcohol a, a, uh, a pillar of your faith because it won't help you. There's lots of reasons to give up alcohol, but if that's the reason you're giving it up uh, and you're, you're missing out on uh, a calm stomach, because that would have been the norm, right? Is it was, uh, alcohol was saying, it's like, oh, you have an upset stomach, you have nerves, here's a glass of wine, right? So Paul is, Paul is saying, like, even though there's elders who are misbehaving, you don't have to swing all this other way to stand against it. You can actually stand in a healthy place, in a moderate place, where you can still drink, the occasional cup of wine for your stomach and you can still be in that space and lead these people. All right? And then he, he, he talks about these sins that are obvious and the non-obvious and that basically it'll come out in the wash. You know, we might not see what everybody else is doing and that's okay. In good time, it will. So don't don't try to make a, a big public thing of this because I think that's what Timothy was doing. Like, how else would Paul know that Timothy is not drinking? He's obviously made something of it. And Paul, from here, he transitions into slaves. And again, like, you're just like, we don't always, it's not easy to see how he goes from one to the next. But as Paul is, again, as he's trying to undermine the, uh, this prosperity gospel, this financial gain, godliness as a way to financial gain, he has to address slaves because they are one of the people. So widows would have been totally undermined and slaves would have been totally undermined. They would have had no place because if they cannot be blessed financially, then they can't have godliness. And so Paul goes to slaves and he doesn't address slave masters. So normally when Paul talks about slaves, and we, we talked about this a few weeks ago with Philemon, reality is Paul had, a, I think, I'm convinced Paul had a really hard time imagining a world without slavery, um, which is why he doesn't ever condemn it outright. It was just such a normal part so, and of their life. And so Paul doesn't condemn slavery and in this part, he actually, he doesn't give the both ends. So most of the time when Paul says, he says, slaves, obey your masters, and masters, be good to your slaves. But in this passage here, in 1 Timothy, he just says, slaves, be good. Basically, obey your masters. And he doesn't address the masters. Which feels like a bit of an oversight, feels a bit unfair, a bit uncalled for. But if you take it from this light of he's trying to address the financial divide, he's saying, I'm going to talk to the slaves now. And I'm saying, you guys, you have been mistreated. 
you have been made less than. Your place in the church is being diminished by some of these false teachers. And even in the midst of that, do not turn to violence. Do not return uh, poor behavior with poor behavior. Stand up. Be Christ in the place where you are, even in the midst of being mistreated by those who would call themselves Christians as well. And Paul's lack of address to the masters in this situation, while it feels like a bit of an oversight, is his way of saying, is actually giving prominence, I think. Because he's saying the slaves, those who have been diminished in this moment, they're the ones who are going to stand up and are going to be Christ in this. They're the ones who aren't going to try and overthrow their masters. They're the ones who I am going to give a place again in this church, even though this, these false teachers have tried to diminish their place. He invites them, instead of returning tit for tat, but to rise above and to live lives of nonviolence. Paul, throughout his writing, is concerned about slavery uprising. Two reasons, I think. One, and it, this is a bit trite, but he doesn't want Christianity to get a bad name and to be associated with slave uprisings. And two, he, I, Paul is convinced that violence is not the way forward. And when we finish off this, this section on slaves, it brings us back to this the bookend of false teachers. And we're, we're confronted with the fact that when we fall away from Jesus, when we fall when, or are led away by false teachers, people who declaim that godliness is a means of financial gain, and when we leave this path of, that Jesus marked for us of death and resurrection and the living out of sacrifice, and we make our faith and solely about us, about our benefit, our gain, or our future in heaven, we miss the point. We miss what God has called us to. And all these other things start to make a lot more, to me, make a lot more sense. We have to be careful that we don't confuse godliness as a way of financial gain. As a way of power. As a way of mistreating people. And I, this morning, I, I want to leave you with that to kind of to, to dwell on in your own personal life. What does that look like? When have we found ourselves in those situations where we have thought less of somebody? When have we diminished the existence of somebody? Or that they are a blessed creation of God and taken advantage? And I want to leave you with what are Paul's actually closing words, but I'll just take out Timothy, where he addresses Timothy specifically. And I want these to kind of be our benediction for today. But you, the people of God, flee from all this greed. 
and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were made, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything in Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. And the blessed and the only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom to no one has seen or can see, to him be the honor and might forever. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this they will lay up treasures for themselves in heaven as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they will take hold of the life that is truly life. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. Go in the peace and grace of God this morning.